This is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio, and I'm joined today by my co-host. I'm Laura Venice. I'm with the Red Cloaks as well as Advocates for Women's Empowerment. And today we're really grateful to have Jamie Sabina with us. Hi, Jamie. Good morning. Good morning. Um, good morning. Jamie is co-chair of the Judicial Consent for Minors Lawyer Referral Panel, which brings us to our important topic today, which is looking at judicial bypass and pregnant teens in the Commonwealth. Welcome. Thank you. So we'd love to get started with just a little bit about what the lawyer referral panel does and then talk more about what's been going on this week in Massachusetts. So since 1981, Massachusetts has had in place a statute which requires that if you're under the age of 18, you need to have the consent of a parent or authorization from a superior court judge to obtain an abortion. These laws went into place right after Roe v. Wade passed, where anti-choice legislatures, which Massachusetts was definitely one, rushed to try to restrict this new right. And as one would guess, those who were disenfranchised had the right taken away. So there were laws restricting federal and state funding for abortion and laws around teenagers, which were in place for a number of years before they actually went into effect. Initially, they wanted to say teenagers had to have parental consent. But the United States Supreme Court acknowledged that teenagers live under the power of their parents and they could be stopped from obtaining an abortion. And if the state couldn't stop somebody from having an abortion, they couldn't delegate that right to parents. So they came up with this, um, compromise that you could require parental consent as long as you had a efficient, expeditious, confidential way to bypass parents, which in most states has been judicial consent, which sounds easy, but think about being a 15 or 16 year old. You can't go to your parents and you're told, well, you have to go to court. You have to pretend like this is an everyday thing for you. We don't think that you can make this decision on your own, but we think you can initiate litigation. Um, so in practice, it has been a terrible burden. I want to first pause, however, to say that most teenagers tell their parents, around two thirds of teenagers involve their parents in their abortion decision. But that is true in states that do not have these laws as well as in states that do have these laws. A teen who can go to her parents will, and a teen who can't will do anything not to. Doesn't that make so much sense? Because when we, we've all been teenagers, if we've reached the age that we're at, and you have a sense inside you what you can handle. And you know your parents and your guardians better than anybody else because you live in a very intimate, close relationship with them. So for whatever reason that you feel comfortable, it's great if you feel comfortable, wonderful. But if you do not feel comfortable, that's what we're really focused on today. Well, right, I often, in my day job, I work around issues of domestic violence and sexual assault. And they always say that survivors of abuse have the best sense of where safety lies. And I think that's very true of teens. Teens don't go to their parents because they know of the danger that might put them in or that they know what their parents can handle, or there are other horrible issues going on in their family, 
or they have no way of raising this. Virtually all the kids I represented going to court had never talked about sex with their parents. You know, how can the first, you know, discussion be, mom, let's talk about sex. I'm pregnant. Right. <laughs> it, it just right. doesn't work. It's too big a leap. It's just way too big a leap. Hi, Karen. Hi, sorry, I was late. I have to take a phone call. Hi, I'm Karen with Boston Red Coats. Excellent. Hi, everybody. Hi, Hi Laura. Let's talk first about what it's actually like for a teenager to go to court because people don't really know what it means when we say you have to see a judge. Some people feel like, oh, that's comforting. Now I know that teen's not all alone. Well, first of all, most teenagers do not know about this law. They find out when they call to schedule an abortion and it's like kind of shocking to them. They get extensive counseling, which is the counseling they would get whether or not we have this law. Can you talk to your parents? Are there other adults you can talk to? Have you considered adoption? Have you considered raising a child? These are the things that are available to you. This is what an abortion is. These are the procedures. These are the risks. It's, a, it's an extensive counseling that any teen gets regardless of the law. But at the end of it, the teen has to make a decision about going to court and the counselor will talk to her about that. Then, the counselor needs to find a lawyer who can represent the young woman sometimes that week, sometimes that next day, um, or sometimes not for two weeks because she can't leave home for two weeks because it's school vacation or she's in the middle of finals or whatever. The counselor gets a lawyer and the teen calls back and gets the name and number of the lawyer, calls the lawyer. Okay, you're 16. You've never seen a lawyer except on TV. And this is how I know I've been doing this too long. I used to say, the only lawyer you've ever seen is Perry Mason on TV. Then it was LA Law. <laughs> then it was Drop Dead Diva. Now I guess it's All Rise um, or Bull. And you have to call a strange lawyer. Imagine how difficult that is. Um, lots of young women just, they delay calling. And that is another reason this whole process engenders delay. They make the call and we don't have the lawyers call the minors because you never know who's going to pick up the phone. They make the call. The lawyer goes through all the process with them, the questions, and then has to strategize with the young woman about how she's going to get to court. They may never have been out of their neighborhood and they're having to figure out how to go to a court, maybe many miles away, maybe with no public transportation. Maybe they don't have a license or they don't have access to a car. And they have to often figure out how to get out of school without the school calling their parents. So they have to decide who they can talk to, who they can trust, a nurse, a guidance counselor. They get that all set. And it's, and that's, it's like, they want to please the adults. And so they will sometimes tell the lawyer, oh, I know where the court is. And they really don't. So you have to do a lot of work with them to figure out how they're going to get there. Then they have to say, get themselves to a court find somebody they've never met before. I always used to wear a green Celtics jacket. So I was probably the only lawyer in the lobby in a green Celtics jacket. So they could pick me out. Then they have to go in front of a black robed stranger and tell them the most intimate details of their life. When their last period was, how pregnant they are, how they're doing in school, what the relationship with their parents. The judge is supposed to make a determination if the young woman is mature enough to consent to the abortion on her own. The judge isn't saying you should have an abortion. I had one judge say to me, the minute she walks in my door, I could find her mature. 
without, you know, having to go through even questioning because she's acknowledged she's pregnant. She's gotten counseling. She's called a lawyer. She's figured out how to get here. And she's coming in to tell me the most intimate details of her life. So as one might expect, about 98% of the kids who go to court are found mature. For those who are not, a judge is supposed to determine if the abortion is in their best interest. And as another judge said to me, it'd be hard pressed to find a case where I think this young woman is not mature, but that she should have a baby. So out of the 25,000 cases that may have gone ahead in Massachusetts, there have been a small handful of denials, virtually all of which were overturned by another judge in an appeals court. So this law doesn't change whether teens go to their parents. It doesn't change whether they have an abortion. Our stats are similar to everybody else's. And they don't change in any way the ability of the young woman to have counseling. These judges spend 10 minutes with them. They know they don't know this young woman. They don't know her family. They ask you know, questions that they certainly you know, take their job very seriously. But the young women who get through this process are mature. Not all legislators even have looked at what that standard is about the maturity question. And so, again, I think there have some sort of, who put it? One of you said this in email, a father knows best attitude. They're assuming a male, for whatever reason, some of these people are imagining a male judge who's kind of making sure, well, it's okay for this person. Like, I don't like abortion in general, but this one, okay, they've made a good decision. There's something very paternalistic about it. And it doesn't match at all what you're describing is what's really happening. It doesn't sound like judges are taking this person under their wing and shepherding them in life. I don't hear that. Right, right. They're not going to see this young woman after she leaves their courthouse. So they ask the questions that can assure them around maturity. They ask around their age and what they're doing in school and do they have future plans. And sometimes when they're being really lovely, it's scary. You know, there's one judge who'd like to know what their favorite subject was and, oh, you're reading Catcher in the Rye. Well, how, how, what do you think of the ending? And you can see the kids saying, Jesus, I didn't finish it. I don't know the answer. Or <laughs> one judge asks math questions. Um, so the whole thing, even when the judges are trying to not be intimidating, the whole process is intimidating. I do want to say that Massachusetts judges do handle these very well. As I say, they ask standard questions, you know, to get it as well as at maturity as you can in a you know 15 minute hearing. They ask about the reasons for not telling their parents. We are lucky that our judges take this seriously and do not invest a hearing with their personal beliefs. There are other states in which minors are denied all the time. I don't think Massachusetts minors are any more mature than Louisiana minors. But you can see in reading uh, appeals from other states, the judges are really putting their feelings around abortion and their feelings around that you should be forced to tell your parents, no matter the reason why you're not, um, into, into the decision. So it's, it's, in, it's handled very differently across the country. You know, and I, I worked in this field a long time ago, but I, I kind of remember there were a couple of judges that were just avoided because... I don't know why, whether they spent a lot of time, but it just seems like such a waste of these yeah. poor kids' times and, and your time too. So there are a few judges who've decided that they don't want to hear these cases and they've recused themselves, which is odd. Usually judges don't recuse themselves because they don't like the subject matter. 
But since it's never more than a handful of judges, that's not an issue. In some states, kids have to travel, you know, hundreds of miles to find a judge who will hear it. There were a few judges at the beginning. One judge who we soon learned was going to keep of those handful denials. This one judge had five. Um, And he was saying things like, well, if you get pregnant, you have to take the jackpot consequences. And can't you keep your knees together? So we figured that out pretty soon. And there was a handful that we avoided. At the moment, those judges who we avoided have either left the bench or joined the federal bench. So at the moment, there aren't aren't judges. And we only avoided a judge, not because we didn't like them or their manner, because we wanted to make it easy for the young woman to get to the closest court and the closest time. But there were a few judges who were so totally inappropriate. Um, There was one judge who asked uh, a Latinx uh, young woman don't don't you mature earlier in the tropics? I mean, she's from Dorchester, oh, oh um, but we're really talking about a very small number of judges. Most of the judges in Massachusetts handle these appropriately, and that's what I always say. Sometimes legislators will say, "Well, maybe we can make the system better." In Massachusetts, we have more lawyers than we need to do the cases, which is not true in some states. We have judges who handle these professionally. They schedule them, you know, around the minor. They really have worked very hard. During this pandemic, they've been doing the hearings by Zoom. They do it as well as they can. And even as well as they can, it does not mean that your woman is not missing school. She's not maybe hitchhiking to court. Her abortion, we've studied this, it delays obtaining an abortion, which increases cost, which delays it more. It risks, the young woman risks losing confidentiality. She tells somebody at school who tells her parents, or she asks her best friend for a ride who tells her mother, who, you know, tells. And for young women who are really afraid of adverse consequences of their parents knowing this loss of confidentiality can be dangerous. so that that puts them at risk and it's traumatic these are the young women we should feel the most for because they don't have parental support or can't go to their parents for whatever reason and yet we make them feel like criminals going to court and that many of them have said that i feel like a criminal yeah and it it just seems like another hoop for them to jump through right that's so much on their plate anyway i mean sometimes kids give up on homework that's too challenging right but right when when that that's at stake and they give up what what do they do then well that's that's absolutely true we have a young a lot of young women who end up going out of state because vermont does not have such a law new york does not have such a law connecticut has you know if you get this canceling you don't need parental or judicial consent so a lot of young women go out of state but they're spending time going out of state. We worry about their follow-up care if they've gone to some clinic somewhere else. And again, they feel like fugitives. Right. You know, I have to leave my home to make this important decision. Yeah. So Wait. it's really, it's worthless. Yeah. I kind of remember, yeah. I, I could be wrong, but I, I kind of remember yeah. sending kids to New Hampshire. Yeah, no, many, many kids went to New Hampshire. I think it may have been about... 15 years ago, I'm not oh. sure. And in fact, and they put one into effect. It was held up by the courts. Their legislature changed. 
<clears throat> they rescinded it before it ever went into effect, and then they put it back into effect. But I think a significant number of teens went to New Hampshire. Yeah. Interestingly, a lot of New Hampshire teens come to Massachusetts because it's very difficult to find a clinic that will do a second trimester abortion in New Hampshire. So these young women have to come to Massachusetts and go to a Massachusetts court and then come back you know, for an abortion. So for them, the, the strain is really great. And young women are disproportionately later in their pregnancy because they're not used to regular periods. Right. They're used to their bodies feeling weird. So a lot of times they don't know they're pregnant until later on. It's interesting with the pandemic, how you discuss the courts trying to be flexible with the Zoom yeah. conference, which does seem thoughtful, but I'm thinking about the teen who is living with someone who's been abusive yeah. in the worst case incest. And you know, even if you have a computer that's yeah. your own that you can use privately, you're still having to literally have that conversation within the range right. of your computer device. Right. They're sometimes they're locked in the bathroom and they're whispering or in a cold attic or trying to figure out again some reason that they have to they, they can leave the house. And again, where when they're somewhere where they shouldn't suppose they shouldn't be or where the parent doesn't know they are, that risks a loss of confidentiality. Someone just wrote on the Red Cloaks Instagram site, their story, that they had, they were pregnant as a teenager, they were in an abusive location where they knew they weren't safe, and that if they had a child, the child would not be safe. And they ended the pregnancy, went on in life to have a child when it was the right time and have a healthy adult child. And, you know, feels like it all worked out but that person it still resonates later in life when you go through a situation where you're where you're trapped you're trapped by your abuser you feel like you may be trapped inside your body and the only way out is through healthcare and it feels like you've you've been doing this for how long you've seen a lot of stories 1981 mm. right it's yeah. a lot of experience and right. you know people wonder about this thing about regret most of these young women are very definite about their decision and we did a study back in around 2000 in which we went through a year of the forms that the councils at Planned Parenthood fill out about reasons and why they're not telling people. And my colleague did 26 in-depth interviews with, with young women. And they expressed reasons that were complex and nuanced Far beyond, if you read the literature, it says, oh, teenagers are self-absorbed. They only think about themselves. Right. They talked about what life they could give a child, how it would harm the relationship with their parents, um, a whole range of reasons that they thought outside of themselves why they were doing this. Many young women who are not so mature may decide to continue the pregnancy. And we've all heard the stories, sadly, that, oh, I'd have something that would love me. This would make me an adult. It's often, you know, those immature reasons are why young women continue a pregnancy. And those who are making the abortion decision do it for nuanced and complex reasons. And similarly, in whether or not they involve their, their parents. Um, I have one story, you know, where a young woman was in uh, DCF custody and was hoping so much to go back to her mother and knew that if she was pregnant, that would destroy that system. Um, another young woman whose parents were in the middle of a divorce and she was worried that this would, would trip them over the end. 
Um, I heard of one young woman who said, normally I tell my parents, but my brother committed suicide last week. I can't go to them. I'll tell them sometime. And so I've not heard of regrets and all of the major studies have shown that abortion and regret is not a real thing. Some people have some regrets about everything they do, but generally <coughs> people have more regrets about being forced to have a child that they don't feel ready for. There are young women who do tell their parents later. One of my favorite was a counselor from Planned Parenthood said, my daughter, who's like early 20s, just told me that she had an abortion and she went through judicial consent. And I said to her, why didn't you come and talk to me? I'm a Planned Parenthood counselor. And she said, I wanted to make sure the decision was my own and that neither of us ever thought later that you had talked to me into something which I thought was a really interesting wow. discussion. Oh. The other thing is that I mentioned many young women haven't spoken to their parents about sex. I mean, I'm still blown away at how many parents do not discuss sex. And, and, and again, I remember one young woman calling Planned Parenthood and she wanted to go through judicial bypass. And she said, oh, but you know, my mother's a lawyer and she's on the panel, so I don't want to get her. And the counselor said, well, obviously your mother must think it's all right for teenagers to have abortions. Yes, but she doesn't know I'm having sex. We've never talked about that. And so I thought that was a really interesting parent-child dynamic. They're all so complex. It's about life. Yeah. It's about life. Jamie, um, you, uh, we are all sharing this First of all, let me thank you for all the wonderful things you're telling us and all the humanity that you're bringing to this conversation. Thank you. What do we do now? How do we get Baker to allow these teenage people to have bodily autonomy? What do we do? What's really the best use of our limited time? So I think the best use of our time is getting the legislature to reject his amendments and to get it through quickly enough so that they can override a veto. And how do we do that? What's the best way? Everybody should be, should be calling their state rep and their state senator to say, reject Baker's, keep the row act in the budget exactly as it is, overturn every veto. Baker says, he puts it this false narrative out there that I think 16 and 17 year olds should have parental consent. And he has said at times, I would want to know if my 16 or 17 year old mm -hmm. was, you know, pregnant and having an abortion. That's not the decision here. A teen who is not going to tell her parents won't. She'll go out of state or she'll go to court. She doesn't suddenly say, oh, I'm going to tell my parents. So it isn't around parental consent. It's around is judicial bypass forcing young women into court or forcing them to go out of state, the best use of our, our legal system, of our policies. And interestingly, this law falls most heavily on low-income teens mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. teens of color <clears throat> who often have less access to going out of state. Yeah. So again, the young women who can't go to their parents and don't have as many choices are feeling the brunt of this. But in eight years, 
We've never been able to convince Charlie Baker. He says the same thing every time. Mm -hmm. So we need to rely on our legislature that passed this bill and to tell them, you know, call them up now to say reject Baker's amendments, protect our young women. And if Baker then vetoes it again to tell them we need to override this veto. We need to protect our young women. We are with you 100%. Thank you for making time with us today. Your message and your voice are so welcome. Um, your experience really backs up things that we need to understand. And just thank you, thank you, thank you for what you're doing. Every week, there are two or three teenagers hitchhiking to court, being forced to go in front of a judge. So it may be that there are less cases than there used to be because there's better sex education and better access to contraceptive and pregnancy rates have gone down. But every week think that there's one or two teenagers who are being forced through this system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank yes, you. That's a heavy thought. And hopefully Thank we'll get to invite you. you back in the spring and have, and have a, a, new, a new landscape in which we can hear how things are going. Thanks again. I hope so. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Good luck to all of us. Uh -huh. <laughs> right. <laughs>